Well, good morning and welcome again to Westminster Presbyterian Church. It uh, really is a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Kurt Witters. I'm the director of Roar Sports, which is an outreach ministry of this church. And I'm also a seminary student at RTS Charlotte. Um, and it, it's a privilege to get the chance to preach to you today. Um, if we haven't met and you like what I have to say, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Um, if you don't like what I have to say, next week, Mike Kruger is going to be here preaching, and he is actually the president of my seminary. Um, so I'm sure he would be happy to answer for any of my shortcomings um, <laughs> next week. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Luke chapter 7 um, as we continue our series entitled Encounters with Jesus, uh, which is a series where we've been looking at stories in the Gospels where people come into contact with Jesus and they leave forever changed. It's Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it gives us life, that it gives us peace. And I pray this morning that we would feel that peace. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you want to welcome Jesus into your world? Or do you want to be welcomed into Jesus' world? Because I think that's the chief difference between this woman and this Pharisee. Simon wants Jesus to be a part of his world. He's invited him into his home. He eagerly wants to hear what he has to say. He, he 
is happy to be associated with Jesus on some level. Throws a party for him. But the woman in our story wants to be part of Jesus' world. She's experienced the brokenness of her world. She's come to the end of her rope trying to cover her own sin, and she's ready to be welcomed into Jesus' world. And that's where we find her. We find her living in Jesus' world at Jesus' feet. What about you? I'm assuming that if you've made it to worship this morning, at the very least, you're not antagonistic toward Jesus. You, uh, on some level, you're happy to be associated with him. You um, don't find him offensive or objectionable. And that's a good start. Or maybe you followed Jesus for a long time. You've given him your life. You rejoice about thinking what he's done for you. Jesus is a, a huge part of your world, maybe the biggest part of your world. But when your world starts to fall apart, what then? As we think about this passage, uh, there are two things that I want us to think about uh, that, that will help us want to be welcomed into Jesus' world, that will help us want far more than just to let Jesus be a part of our story, but for us to be welcomed into Jesus' story. And the first fact is that your world is broken possibly even more so than you even realize. Uh, people in the world know that their world is broken. Douglas Adams, who's a, a, a famous novelist and a noted atheist, uh, started off one of his novels by saying this, the story so far, in the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people really angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. Even this atheist recognizes that his world is broken. And from what we know about Simon, from what we know about the Pharisee in our passage, his life seems pretty put together. It seems like he's doing pretty well. The first thing we're told about him is that he's a Pharisee. Now, when we hear the word Pharisee, when we think about Pharisees, because we're used to reading the stories in the Gospels, we typically think of Pharisees as the bad guys, right? They're wearing the black hats in the story. Um, but that's kind of hindsight playing a role here. You know, at the time, the Pharisees were a highly respected group of people. Uh, I imagine that if you were a kid and you told your mom, I want to be a Pharisee when I grow up, she probably would have been really proud of your ambition. So Simon holds a respectable place in society. And beyond that, he's somewhat well off. You know, Simon's able to host people in his home. He's not a beggar. He has Jesus and many others dining in his house. And finally, we see that Simon is used to keeping the brokenness that exists in his world at an arm's length. When this woman comes into his house and she's at Jesus' feet, he's bothered. He's not used to being in the company of people like her. He'd rather keep her at a distance. He's not able to sympathize with where she is. And that's not to say that he thinks his world is perfect. I mean, if you think about Simon compared to the other Pharisees, he's not getting in arguments with Jesus in the street. This is a Pharisee who's welcomed Jesus into his home. He, he has a positive interaction with Jesus rather than um, 
questioning everything he does, he, he invites him over, wants to learn from him, thinks there's a chance that Jesus could be a prophet, thinks Jesus might be able to offer him something that he needs. He wants Jesus to be a part of his world. But contrast that with the woman in our story. Nobody needs to tell this woman that her world is broken. She knows. She, uh, she has a bad reputation. As soon as she shows up in this house, Simon recognizes who she is, recognizes that she's a sinner. And we're catching her at a time in her life when uh, her emotional state is, is so bad that she's at the feet of Jesus, crying so heavily and so profusely that she's able to clean his feet with her tears. She's in touch with the brokenness of her world. Her world is broken, and she's herself broken. Are you moved by the brokenness that exists in your world? Um, somebody recently recommended this book to me. It's called Every Moment Holy. Um, there's three volumes of it. Uh, it contains a lot of prayers and liturgy for things that we go through in everyday life. Uh, the first volume is really good. Uh, actually, somebody got us a print from it that says, uh, a liturgy for changing diapers. So we had that printed off and put in our wall. So some of the prayers are really for what we would consider mundane things, but some of the prayers in here are uh, for really challenging things as well. So the second volume is on death, grief, and hope. And what I wanted to do was just read from the table of contents, a few of the prayers that are in this book. Uh, for before a medical treatment, for a time of widespread suffering, for those who tend to a loved one in decline, for those facing the slow loss of memory, for seeking amendment and reconciliation, to stir courage in a child facing death, for the loss of a spouse, for those who've suffered a miscarriage or stillbirth, for grieving well amidst the confusion of a suicide, uh, for the anniversary of a loss, for the hardship of holidays and special days. There are 75 of these prayers in here. Um, on the one hand, if you are someone who has come face to face with the brokenness of your world, pick up a copy of this. If you don't know how to talk to God about the grief that you're going through, there's some great words in here for you. On the other hand, if you feel like your life is really put together right now, if your world doesn't feel broken, think about this book. So many people are carrying around grief, heartache, and brokenness. They're carrying that around with them, and it's so much that someone thought it was necessary to write a book of prayer just for those people. If that isn't enough for you, think about our refugee ministry, what we just highlighted in our video. You know, there are families all across the world who live in uh, places where it's so dangerous and so untenable for them to stay there that they're willing to pick up their lives, their families, their, uh, leave behind their homes, their cultures, their languages, their history, whatever, just to get a better shot at life. These people are close to the brokenness in their world. Their world is broken. Your world may be more broken than you realize. And if it hasn't happened already, there's going to come a day in your life when you're forced to face the brokenness of your world. But take heart. 
Jesus says in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the good news of the gospel. Good news for people like this woman. People who know that their world is broken. Jesus didn't come to make your world a little bit better. Jesus came to draw you to himself. Take you out of your broken world and into his. A new world. Jesus is inviting you to be a part of it. Do you want to welcome Jesus into your world? Or do you want to be welcomed into Jesus' world? Where everything is fixed. Your world is broken. Number two, your world is burdensome. I love that there's a a story in the gospel where we see someone actually inviting Jesus to come into their house. And I love that because I can relate to this person. I'd love to think that if I ran into Jesus, I'd want to invite him to my house because I love having people over. Um, Now, we don't have as many people over as I would like. And I think a big part of that is because I don't like preparing to have company. Love having company, but I don't like to prepare to have company because it means we need to clean the bathrooms. We need to um, take everything that's out of place and make sure it finds a home. And uh, right now with uh, a one-year-old at home, I own a lot of things that seemingly don't have a home. Uh, They're just around. Um, In general, before someone comes over, I think it's our goal to make people believe that we don't actually live there. Um, We don't want anyone who comes into our house to think that we're lazy or dirty or growing mold in the bathroom or um, whatever. But that's only true to a certain level. Because there are certain people in my life who when I invite them over, I'm not worried about cleaning the bathroom. Because they know better. (laughs) There's no sense trying to convince them that I'm not lazy or messy or dirty. They, they know better. When people like that come over, my family's freed from the burden of fooling people into thinking that we're respectable. There's no burden to perform. And I think that's kind of a dynamic that's at play in this story that we've read. Uh, on the surface, if you look at the Pharisee and the woman, you would think that the Pharisee is the freer of the two. He, he lives a life that's more free than this woman. But I think he's actually shackled to the burden of his own self-righteousness. He's weighed down by the burden of trying to maintain a good reputation. It's clear that he, he cares about appearances. He cares what people think about him. When this woman shows up in his house, he immediately judges her. Certainly, wouldn't let her anoint his feet. In fact, he's so embarrassed by this woman being in in his house, he has secondhand embarrassment just from Jesus interacting with her. He's trying to protect his own reputation, trying to cover his own messiness. I think on some level we're all afraid of being known for who we truly are. We care more about our reputation, more about how we're perceived, more about what people think of us than we ought to. We want to cover up the nasty parts of ourselves and keep that hidden so that we can be respected. But guys, hiding that is really hard work. 
People have been trying to hide their ugliness from one another and from God since the fall. If you think about Adam and Eve, right, immediately after they sin and they realize that they're naked, they, they sew fig leaves together to try to cover their nakedness. Aren't you tired of trying to cover up? Aren't you tired of trying to protect your reputation? Aren't you tired of trying to fool people, even fooling God? Here we come face to face with a woman who doesn't carry that burden. I mean, look at her. What are we told about this woman? Not much. We're told that she has the reputation of a sinner. Now, some have taken that to mean that she's a prostitute, but we don't know that. Others have uh, tried to connect her with some of the more famous women in the Gospels, including uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, but we don't really know who this woman is. And I think that's significant in itself. I mean, Luke, the author, tells us that he interviewed eyewitnesses to these things that happen. And I, I don't know this for sure, but I'd say there's a good chance that if Luke wanted us to know the identity of this woman, he could have told us. But he doesn't. She has no name. We don't know much about her. Apart from the fact that she's a sinner, she's forgiven, she's told to go in peace. I think that's part of the point. Other people's opinion of who this woman is play no factor into her relationship with Jesus. She's unburdened by self-righteousness. This woman is not too proud to show up at a stranger's house as a beggar. She's weeping on Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her hair. Why? Because she knows who Jesus is. She knows she cannot fool this man. He knows all about her. And here she's found someone who not only knows everything about her, but who knows everything about her and welcomes her. To be fully known by the God of the universe. To be able to say, this man knows all that I've done. And to not be cast out, that's true freedom. And when she knows, because she knows what Jesus has done for her, she does the opposite of trying to protect her reputation before Jesus. She repents. You can't cover your own sin, no matter how hard you try, and carrying it around with you is a burden that is far too heavy to carry. What does God do when he, he comes down and he finds Adam and Eve in the garden and they've tried to cover their own sin? Kills an animal. Clothes their nakedness in the skin of that animal. Bloodshed covers their nakedness and shame. Aren't you tired of carrying all that around? There's no sense trying to maintain a good reputation with Jesus. He knows everything about you. And, and Simon figures this out as he's talking to himself and, and Jesus reads his mind. So what are your options when you encounter Jesus and you discover that he knows every wrong thing you've ever thought, said, or done? Your only two options are you can run or you can repent. In this woman, we see a beautiful 
picture of repentance. And what's Jesus' response to this? Repentance, he says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. That's true freedom. Jesus is inviting you into his world to experience the freedom that comes with giving up the burden of maintaining your reputation and embracing a life of repentance. Your world is burdensome. Do you want to welcome Jesus into your world? Or do you want to be welcomed into Jesus' world? Now, in closing here, uh, the truth is, Jesus doesn't leave us with the option of allowing him simply to be a part of our world. Uh, In some ways, I've set up a little bit of a false dichotomy here. What I'm not trying to suggest is uh, that Jesus is unable to fix the problems in this world, or that uh, Jesus is uh, not present in this world, that Jesus isn't a part of this world. And I'm not trying to suggest that we shouldn't invite Jesus into our lives uh, insofar as that means initiate a relationship with him. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't care about this world because Jesus is making a new one. What I am suggesting is that Jesus didn't come just to be a part of our lives. He came to give us life. Simon clearly has some respect for Jesus. This Pharisee has some respect for Jesus. Before he invites Jesus over, there's, he thinks that Jesus might even be a prophet. But we learn from this woman, she knows that Jesus is far more than just a prophet. What does the name Christ mean? It means anointed. And this woman, here she is, when she comes to this person's house, to this Pharisee's house, she brings with her an ointment to anoint Jesus. This woman is recognizing who Jesus really is, that he is the Messiah. This is a a house full of religious elites, people whose job it was on some level to look for the Messiah, and this woman is the one who finds him. Beyond that, She learns who Jesus is when he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, last week, Mike preached an excellent sermon on forgiveness. Um, He he is absolutely right. There is nothing you can do that is beyond God's ability to forgive. There's no sin that's greater than God's grace. But this claim that Jesus makes also tells us about who Jesus is. Who can forgive sins? That's what the people in the house are asking. Who's this person who can forgive sins? Well, in some sense, all of us can forgive sins, right? I, I can forgive someone who sins against me. But when we sin, not only are we sinning against another person, ultimately we're sinning against God. We're violating his law. We're rejecting his authority over our lives. All sin is ultimately sin against God. And that's why what Jesus says here is radical. The only person with the authority to forgive sins is the person who's been sinned against. So Jesus is here claiming to be far more than a prophet. He's claiming to be God. And the people at the party recognize this. And this divinity claim is what separates the two responses here. Do we want Jesus to come and be a part of our world? Do we want simply to be followers of the teachings of Jesus? Do we want Jesus to be a part of our lives? 
because Jesus claims to be God, that kind of surface-level relationship with Jesus is impossible. If Jesus is who he says he is, I think we have a great picture of how we ought to respond to that truth in the response of the woman. We see her bringing her brokenness to Jesus. She comes to him as she is, bad reputation and all. We see a beautiful act of repentance, crying at the feet of Jesus, who's the only one who can forgive her sins, beautifully washing the feet of the one she's wronged. And we see her believing the gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing this, she receives life by joining Jesus in his world. Do you want to welcome Jesus into your world? Or do you want to be welcomed into Jesus' world? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the peace that comes with following you, with laying aside the burden of reputation. Thank you that you are making a place where all things are new, a place without the brokenness of sin. We have hope that one day we'll join you there. Jesus, come quickly. Amen.